this mug of water is boiling hot. It just came out of a hot pot about a minute ago. It's hot. This mug of us of water is ice cold. It just came out of the freezer a moment ago. It has a hard layer of ice already on top of it. But by tonight, if you come back for the evening service, I'll invite you to check. By tonight, both of these cups of water will be lukewarm. You probably won't be able to tell the difference. I'm going to speak today about a church that was lukewarm. Not because I think we are a lukewarm church. Not because I think any of you individually are lukewarm. But because a lukewarm heart toward Jesus is very dangerous and very easy to slip into. What do you have to do to become lukewarm? Nothing. Just like this water. Just sit and do nothing and you will become lukewarm. Do nothing about your faith. Do nothing about your growth, your relationship with Jesus, your heart, your sins, Do nothing just like these cups of water. Come back in a few hours. They'll be lukewarm. C.S. Lewis is a well-known Christian author from a half decade ago. He once wrote a very interesting and different little book called The Screwtape Letters. It's different because it's written from the perspective of a demon. Uncle Screwtape, the narrator, the writer, is a master devil and tempter and Deceiver, and he's coaching his nephew, young Wormwood, in the fine arts of their devilish trade. Wormwood's assignment, his patient, as they call him, is a young man who has recently become a Christian. But by letter number nine, this young man is experiencing a time of spiritual dryness. Ever experienced spiritual dryness? I think we all do. Listen to Wormwood's diab- or screw tape's diabolical advice to Wormwood. Your job is to make him gradually become content with the present low temperature of his spirit, persuading him that it is not so low after all. Talk to him about moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. You hear that diabolical advice? A moderated religion, a half-hearted religion, a, a lukewarm religion is as good for us, the demons, as no religion at all and it's more amusing. Lukewarm Christianity makes the demons snicker, but it makes Jesus sick. Today we're going to look at a short letter from Jesus to the church at Laodicea. Laodicea is a church that has bitten Screwtape's bait. They have become content with a half-hearted, moderated, self-satisfied, lukewarm faith. And for that kind of faith, Jesus has the strongest rebuke found anywhere in the Bible of a church. We've heard Screwtape's perspective on lukewarm faith. Now let's hear what Jesus has to say about it. Revelation chapter 3, 
and verse 14. Please follow along in your, in your Bible as I read Revelation 3, verse 14 through the end of chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot, but I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are seven letters to seven churches. The letter immediately before this one, the letter to the church at Philadelphia, is the high point of the seven letters as Jesus has nothing bad to say about the church in Philadelphia, it's all good. Now, this one is the exact opposite, as Jesus has nothing positive to say about the church in Laodicea. It is all rebuke. The other five churches, there's some good and some bad. But think about that. The only church which about which Jesus has nothing at all good to say is the lukewarm church. But Jesus loves even the lukewarm church. And so he rebukes and corrects the church and invites her back to sweet fellowship with him. That's our main thought for today. Jesus rebukes and corrects the lukewarm church. Jesus loves even the lukewarm church. So he rebukes and corrects the church. And invites her back to sweet fellowship with him. Now, I say it again. I didn't choose this passage because I think we are lukewarm. Or that any of you are lukewarm. But it's so easy to slip into lukewarm thoughts. And lukewarm attitudes. And it's so dangerous. And I know my own heart needs to be stirred. And provoked to be hot for Jesus Christ. Verse 14 begins with the identification of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, number one, the identification of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 identifies Jesus by three names which are a wake-up call for this church. Look again at verse 14. To the angel. Literally, the word means messenger. Probably to the pastor. 
to the one who brings the message to the church of Laodicea, tell them this, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God has something to say to you, and here's what he says. Jesus is about to bring a brutal, hard, stinging message to this church. He's about to deliver an awful threat. But before he does, he identifies himself with three names that show that he has the authority and the credibility and the knowledge to say such things. His first name is the Amen. Amen is a Hebrew word that just means truth. When you say amen at the end of a prayer, you're saying truth. Jesus speaks the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus' amen is also, the amen is also an Old Testament name for God. In Isaiah 65, 16, God's name is the God of amen. He is absolutely pure truth. The second name for Jesus here is the faithful and true witness. As some of you probably know, I spend a, a bit of my time in my work in the courtroom. And I, I hear the judge admonish the jurors to pay attention to the witnesses. The witnesses are to testify of what they have seen and heard, but no hearsay is allowed. They can only tell what they know. Jesus is the faithful in true witness, he is speaking what he has seen and heard and what he knows. And then third here, Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God. Well, that's an interesting phrase and perhaps a little bit hard to understand. The Jehovah's Witnesses take this verse and they, they pull it out of context and they twist it to say that Jesus is not God that he's a created being, that he's an angel, just the first thing that God created. The Greek word here, beginning, can mean the first thing created, but it can also mean the one who began. And that's the sense here in Revelation 3.14, the one who began God's creation. Personally, I like to write in my Bible, I make notes. You probably can't see it from there, but you can see there's little black scribblings all over the place. Write down in your Bible. It's okay. The word source or the word one who began God's creation in Revelation 3.14. And then if those Jehovah's Witnesses ever come knocking at your door and try to tell you that Jesus isn't God because he's the beginning of God's creation, you say, no, he's the one who began God's creation. That's what it means here in Revelation 3.14. And John 1.3 says, All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing comes into being that has come into being. That's what it means in Revelation. And in Revelation, it, it has to mean that because that is the emphasis about Jesus in the whole book. Revelation 1.8, God the Father, Himself says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. Who said that? God the Father, the Almighty. 
But then in Revelation 22:13, Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And those two verses stand as bookends on the whole book of Revelation, showing us that Jesus is one with the Father. God the Father, God the Son. And so these words are written in Revelation 3:14 that we would think more of Jesus not less of him. And the first correction for lukewarm Christianity is a right view of Jesus. He's the amen. He is the truth and he speaks the truth. He is the faithful and true witness who proclaims what he knows. He's the God who created you and he created me And he knows all about us. So we need to listen to him. Each name reminds us of the authority of Jesus to say what he's about to say because he has something very serious to say. And now he says it in the indictment of the church. Number two, the indictment of the church. Look please at verses 15 and 16. Jesus says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some people are hot for Jesus. And the word here means boiling. It's not just a little bit hot. It's not just warm. It's boiling hot. Some people have a fervor and a zeal for Jesus. Other people are cold toward Christ. And the word just doesn't mean just a little bit cold. It means ice cold. They reject Jesus and they want nothing to do with Jesus. But the church in Laodicea is neither hot nor cold. They're in the middle. They're lukewarm. They don't burn with any desire to know him better. They don't have a a passion for pursuing hard after God. They're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Those are the things of hot. They're just lukewarm. You know, Throughout the Bible, Jesus often uses word pictures that people understand very well in their culture, in their place. The people in Laodicea understood this word lukewarm because Laodicea had a completely insufficient local water supply. Water was piped in to Laodicea through underground aqueducts built in the time of the Roman Empire. The city of Hierapolis just six miles from Laodicea, had very hot, natural, mineral hot springs. They had boiling hot water. Some of that hot water was carried through these underground aqueducts to Laodicea, but by the time it reached Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was simply lukewarm. On the other side, a little ways, the city of Colossae had some great thirst-quenching cold springs. Some of that wonderful cold Colossian water was brought to Laodicea through these underground aqueducts. But by the time it reached Laodicea, it wasn't particularly cold anymore. 
It was just lukewarm. Laodicea was the richest city in the region. More about that later. But they had lousy, lukewarm water. What does Jesus do with lousy, lukewarm Christianity? He raises the cup to his lips, he takes a drink, and he spits it out in disgust. Forgive me for being graphic, but the word spit is a very polite translation. The word is literally vomit. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm religion makes Jesus Christ sick. Now, Jesus wants you and me to be hot for him. Romans 12:11 says be fervent in spirit. And that word fervent is the same root as hot here in Revelation 3:15. Hot is fervent. But why? Why would Jesus rather have you be cold than lukewarm? Let me give you three suggestions. First of all, a lukewarm church member is probably not a true believer. When Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth, that is a picture of rejection. Verse 17, which we'll get to in just a moment, says these people are spiritually wretched, spiritually blind, spiritually naked, and completely self-deceived about their condition. That is not describing a saving faith. That is describing what James calls in James chapter 2 a dead faith. People who are deceived about their faith. So Jesus would rather see you cold than lukewarm because lukewarm is self-deceived. And that leads to the second reason. There is often more hope for those who are cold than those who are lukewarm. More hope for those who are antagonistic toward Christ because they know they're not right with God. They may deny that God exists, but they are not under any illusion that they're okay with the eternal God. Those who are lukewarm think they're okay with God and they're just fine with their condition. And so there is more hope for those who are cold. The history of Christianity is scattered with people who are cold, harsh, and antagonistic toward Jesus Christ, who later became his great disciples and missionaries and ambassadors. The Apostle Paul, of course, is the first example. The third reason why Jesus would rather have you be cold than lukewarm is this. A lukewarm religiosity drives other people away from him. When the world sees the emptiness, the hypocrisy, the mockery of a lukewarm kind of Christianity, they want nothing to do with it, and they're right. And we can't blame them for that. Lukewarm Christianity drives others away. Jesus wants you to be hot, to be fervent in spirit. But he'd rather have you lukewarm because lukewarm probably isn't saving faith. It's self-deceived. 
There's often more hope for those who are cold than those who are lukewarm. And lukewarm religion drives other people away. The indictment of the church at Laodicea is this lukewarm faith. Now third, Jesus continues with the ignorance. I'm sorry, yeah, the ignorance of the church. Verse 17, the ignorance of the church. When we look at verse 17, we see the essence of lukewarm faith. What is it? How do we recognize it? How do you know it? Verse 17, because. You see that word because? This is why I say you are lukewarm. Because you say, quote, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. These words, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked, have to be understood spiritually. He's not talking about their physical condition. They weren't physically blind. They weren't physically naked. They were spiritually blind spiritually naked, but worst of all, and here is the essence of lukewarm faith, they were satisfied with that. They said to themselves, I have need of nothing. The essence of lukewarm faith is self-satisfaction. They don't need anything more of Jesus, so they think. They have no passion for change, no passion for growth, because they have enough. I'm satisfied with that. They were in spiritual poverty, poor, blind, wretched, naked. Now again, Jesus is using familiar word pictures for the people of Laodicea. They said, I am rich. They were rich. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. As a center for banking and trade and commerce, it was one of the wealthiest cities of the world in its day. We all know that there are certain places where as soon as I say the name, you're going to think of wealth. Beverly Hills. Martha's Vineyard. Hollywood. As soon as you hear those names, you you, you think of mansions and movie stars and rich people. In the same way, in the day that this letter was written, when people said the name Laodicea, they thought about wealth. And yet in faith, they were wretched and miserable and poor and satisfied with that. They were also spiritually spiritually blind. Another interesting word picture. The city of Laodicea was home for a famous medical school of its day, which produced the best eye medicine known to the world of its time. It was a little pill that they sold all over the Roman Empire. And people would grind it up, mix it with water, and make it into a paste, and apply it to the eyes. It was probably some sort of natural antibiotic that healed a whole host of eye diseases, and it worked. They had one of the best eye medications known in that time, and yet they were blind. They could not see the truth about their own spiritual condition, and they were satisfied. Finally, they were naked, 
And they were satisfied with that. Again, a word picture. Along with banking and trade and eye medicine, Laodicea was known for producing some of the finest, softest black wool anywhere in the world. And they distributed this fine, soft black wool throughout the Roman Empire. But like the emperor in that Hans Christian Andersen story, the emperor's new clothes, they were naked. And they didn't even realize it. The essence of lukewarm Christianity is to be self-satisfied. Here's a way to take your own spiritual temperature. Are you content with your spiritual condition? Are you longing to grow in Jesus? Are you satisfied with your prayer life? Or does your heart cry out like the disciples of Jesus, Lord, teach me to pray. Are you at peace with your sins? Or does your heart ache? Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Because the essence of lukewarm religion is self-satisfaction. It's that kind of faith that says, I'm good. Everything's fine. I don't need to grow anymore. I've got it all together. Lukewarm faith, I believe, is also often a very convenient kind of faith. Lukewarm people come to church when it's convenient. But when something more exciting comes along, they're gone. When you are hot for Jesus, the corporate worship of the body of Christ is a commitment. You're excited to be there. You want to be there. The lukewarm church has lots of critics. Lots of Monday morning quarterbacks, but it has very few Wednesday night running backs and linebackers. When you're hot, you're hungry for Christian fellowship because you know you need it. You're not content. You know you need more teaching. You know you need more encouragement. You know you need more strength. And so when the church gathers, you're here. When you're hot, you're committed to serve in the body of Christ. I have a confession to make. I'm not content with my Christian walk. I need to grow. I need to be more like Jesus Christ. I need to be more conformed to his image. And you know what? I'm not even satisfied with how dissatisfied I am. I wish I were more dissatisfied because I know that my heart needs him all that much more. The lukewarm church is content with where it is spiritually. It thinks that it has enough of Jesus. And so Jesus gives, number four in this passage, the invitation to the lukewarm church in verses 18 to 21. Beginning in verse 18, lukewarmness is not a terminal heart disease. No one has to stay lukewarm. And Jesus here has four instructions, four commands, Four challenges for lukewarm people, and they are commands. Number one, starting in verse 18, is rethink your values. Rethink your values. Verse 18, Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. 
Each one of those things is a contrast with the material goods of the world that they thought they already had. They were wealthy. They thought they already had the gold. They had the fine black wool. They thought they were well clothed. They had the best eye medicine known in the world of their day. They thought they could see just fine. And Jesus said, no, you need to rethink your values. You need gold refined by fire. By that he means spiritual gold, spiritual treasure. Treasure not on earth, but treasure in heaven. You need white garments, not those black wool ones. By the white garments, he's speaking not of physical clothing that we put on, but the righteousness of Christ that we put on. You need not the eye salve of the medical school that you make into a paste and smear on your eyes. You need the eye salve of Jesus Christ healing your blindness so that you can see spiritual truth. Jesus is making a contrast between what they had and what they need. And it's spiritual. You know, this whole verse is just packed with irony. How do you buy gold when you're broke? I mean, he's just told them that they are poor, wretched, miserable, and naked. How do you buy gold when you're broke and you don't have any clothes on so you can't even go out to the marketplace to purchase things? And by the way, they didn't have the Internet, so they couldn't buy it online. Hold on to that thought for a minute. How do you buy gold when you're broke? The first correction for lukewarm faith is rethink your values. Value the treasures of heaven far more, far above the treasures of this earth. Rethink your values. Second, restore your zeal. Verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, be zealous Therefore, see that word, be zealous. I would recommend that you circle that in your Bible. And then up in verses 14 and 15, circle the words hot and draw a little connection because it's the same word. Hot is zealous. But, you know, there's something very important and very beautiful before we get to that. And that's this. Jesus loves even the lukewarm church. Did you see that at the beginning of verse 19? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. If there is any grain of lukewarmness, if there's any beginning of lukewarmness in my heart or yours, Jesus loves us enough to rebuke us and discipline us and call us to rethink our values, to restore our zeal. And then the, the uh, third command is to repent. But before I get there, though, be zealous. This, this word, be zealous, in the original language is what's called a present imperative verb. Now, the seminary students among us know what that means, but for the rest of us, present imperative means it's a command <coughs> To keep on doing something continually or consistently. It's not just every now and then be zealous. It's not be zealous like a yo-yo. You know a yo-yo? It's down, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down, it's up. People who are zealous like a yo-yo just give a bad name for Jesus. 
develop a continual, steady zeal in your Christian life is what he's telling us here. And then, if you feel any grain of lukewarmness, the third command there is repent. Verse 19, be zealous and repent. Repent is a word found throughout the Bible that means you realize you're going the wrong direction, you turn around and you go the other way. You change your thinking, you change your behavior. So you confess it. You pray, change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. You you pray the words of that beautiful chorus, O Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. How do you overcome lukewarmness? Rethink your values. Restore your zeal. Repent. And then fourth, return to Jesus. Bring Jesus back. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now, here's another ironic word picture. Jesus Christ is locked out of the church. He is outside knocking at the door, wanting to come in. If your Christianity is at all growing lukewarm, you need to invite Jesus to come back in. How do you buy gold when you're broke? You open the door to Jesus. How do you buy gold when you're naked and you can't even leave your closet? And when you're blind, you invite Jesus to come back in. Because he will bring all the gold and all the white clothes and all the eye salve that you'll ever need. The Greek language had many different words for meals. See where it says, I will dine with him? They had a word for the quick grab a bite on the run. They had a word for breakfast, which was a piece of toast dipped in wine. But they had a special word for a long, relaxed, sit-down light a candle kind of meal. And that is the word that Jesus uses here when he says, I will dine with him. Jesus wants to come in, sit down with you, light a candle, and have fellowship over food in a relaxed kind of way. The only cure for lukewarm Christianity is more of Jesus. Invite Jesus to come back in. And fill your heart. Is there any sense in which Jesus might be locked out of your life today where he's knocking at the door and saying, can I come in? Is there perhaps something at your work where Jesus is knocking at the door and saying, hey, can I come in? Is there something at school where Jesus is knocking at the door? Can I come in? Is there something in your thought life Where Jesus is locked out? Is there something in any aspect of your life where Jesus is knocking at the door and saying, May I come in? I'd like to sit down with you and have a meal and talk about this. For the one who opens that door, Jesus has a great promise. Verse 21 He who overcomes, 
I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You can revel in this verse for a long time. Just sit here and soak in this verse. Where is Jesus right now? He is seated at the throne. Whose throne? The throne of God the Father. Again, Jesus is one with the Father, and he is seated on the throne of God the Father right now. That is a picture of his absolute authority. What is his posture? He's seated. That is a picture of calm assurance. When I am troubled about something, when I am worried about something, what do I do? Just ask my wife. I pace. I am a pacer par excellence. But I guarantee you that Jesus is not pacing. Jesus is sitting on the throne of God the Father. And what does Jesus invite you and me to do if we will be overcomers, ones who will overcome with a faith in him, he invites us to sit down with him on his throne. He invites us to reign with him for all eternity. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. But here is one little glimpse of what eternity will be like. We will be reigning the universe as as governors appointed by Jesus Christ. I cannot prove this from the Bible. This is just one of my theories, okay? This is a little little extra above and beyond. I think one of the reasons that the universe is so big, trillions upon trillions upon trillions of galaxies, is because we will spend all eternity taking care of it and reigning over it as designated and delegated by Jesus Christ. We will be sitting on the throne with him. Verse 22 concludes the letter and it brings it right here into this room. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What that verse means is, this means you. This means me. You know, so often we listen to a sermon and we think about everyone else. Oh, what pastor said, that's really good. That person needs to hear that. Oh, what that what he just said there, that person over there needs to hear that. We shovel it on anybody else. And here God says, this means you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It says this isn't just for the people of Laodicea 2,000 years ago. It's for you, for me, for every man and woman and child today. Is God speaking to you? Let us not live a form of religion that is just lukewarm, a religion that amuses screw tape and the demons. Let us be hot and fervent for Christ. Let us pray. O oh, living God, We pause now to search our hearts in response to your word. If any lukewarm attitudes, 
if lukewarm thoughts, if lukewarm habits have begun to creep in, we confess them and repent. We confess our fear of zeal. We confess our mixed up values when we value the goods and the clothes and the ISAV of this world more than the gold and the, the white clothes and the ISAV of Jesus. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Let's take a moment now just to reflect silently for a moment on the word of God. Oh, Father, give us a renewed zeal and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and our Creator. I pray it in His name. Amen.